everyone. Welcome back to Designing Futures, our podcast about the business of design, the careers within this industry, the passionate people that make up uh, this community. And today I'm really, really excited to introduce uh, and interview Vicky Matranga, who, you know, there are luminaries I want to talk about. You know, there are famous people who have designed beautiful pieces of work. There are people who we've interviewed who have led design in big corporations, consultancies. Um, but what truly makes up a great industry and a great community are the people in and around it. And some of the people we want to remember to highlight and share with you are people like Vicky Matranga, who um, have been an integral part of this community having, um, and we'll go right into her history a little bit to tell you a little bit of how she's really helped form this industry from her vantage point. Um, Vicki is a design historian. She um, has been uh, an educator, a curator, uh, a writer, a historian, and um, she leads the Houseware Student Design Competition. And in fact, she's been doing this for quite some time, right? Um, Vicki, can I have you come right in and just tell me, you know, tell us a little bit about your history and your journey? Well, <laughs> it's a complicated um, path, like any person's life and career are. Um, I grew up in Chicago, the child of refugees from Lithuania. Um, I was monolingual in Lithuanian until I started kindergarten, perhaps. It's still a very big part of my life. And um, I have a lot of relatives there uh, and involved in the Lithuanian community in Chicago in various ways. Um, however, um, I did learn English <laughs> and uh, ended up learning it pretty well. So um, I, I'm also a writer and a lecturer. I wouldn't call myself an educator. You, you give me too much credit, um, Angela, although I have uh, delivered lectures in front of audiences at various colleges about design history. So um, I, I started out by, uh, for some reason, my parents allowed it. Uh, they uh, uh, paid for my education <laughs> at University of Illinois, Chicago. Um, and I studied history of architecture and art. Caught me at a good week, uh, Angela, because this week I've been getting quite a few emails from students and professors and people in business at my job at the International Housewares Association, because as you mentioned, I uh, developed uh, IHA student design competition in 1993 and still run it 29 years later. Um, and just a few days ago, uh, we sent out emails to all of the entrants and the professors uh, to alert them that they could now enter uh, the site to see the judges' evaluations for every entrant. So I, I've been getting a lot of emails from thankful educators that we do this year after year because it's the only competition that gives every advert, ad, entrant the benefit of having uh, two evaluations by professionals in the, in the business. And the educators value it because it reinforces what they're trying to teach and how they teach it. And they learn from professionals about what the criteria are for acceptable and outstanding work. Uh, so it's been very rewarding to get these kind of emails from teachers um, at, at various colleges around the country. And similarly, um, you know, some students are disappointed, of course, that they didn't win, but they're grateful for the feedback because it does help them uh, evolve that particular project and generally show them 
the kind of criteria that people uh, look for when they're trying to evaluate any kind of project. So the professors have said for years that they encourage their students to win and they really book it into their curriculum um, because uh, our deliverables, our requirements um, are, are real world uh, uh, kind of expectations. So um, I've been running this for 29 years. As I said, I select the judges and because of my wide network and people I've met at IDSA conferences uh, for 20 something years and uh, in other ways in my life, um, it's always very thrilling for me to uh, gather this jury. I, uh, over the years, as, the, uh, as we grew this idea of doing not just one evaluation, but two in order to have a balance, balance of viewpoints, um, now the, for the last several years, the judging panel is 14 people. And I, um, you, I invite design managers at IHA member companies. So like this year, we had a person from Hamilton Beach and somebody from Newell. Uh, Hamilton Beach has been one of the companies that has supported this competition from the beginning. I think for maybe 17 years, we've had a representative from Hamilton Beach on the panel. Um, and um, so I have people from our member companies, sometimes presidents of companies um, of, who are seeking design assistance. And then I have educators and um, people who are design consultants and uh, you know various aspects of the business are represented by the jury. So this year it was unusual because we had seven past winners on uh, 14, seven of 14 were past winners because I've maintained relationships with past winners over the years. And it's just been such a thrill to see their career trajectories. I can't believe, well, first of all, for you to be so dedicated in organizing and you know spearheading this uh, competition it's amazing and it's such an incredible value for the industry and, and for all of you those of you who are listening in you're thinking student you know design competition what's the value in that let me just say that in all of my years in design going to the idsa conferences going to you know whatever I, icff any any organization, any kind of competition, and the housewares, student design competition, so many, and I, by the way, IDSA's, their version was the IDA awards for students, right? There are so many um, young designers that cut their teeth on and practice um, competing for these competitions, and it gains them recognition. And to your point, Vicki, for all of those hundreds of designers who apply, it's practicing, stepping up to you know, meet the needs of an initiative. And there are so many designers I know, I've watched and look at that list that you've taught, and we're gonna go through some of the famous people that Vicki now knows through these competitions, people who have become um, incredible luminaries in this industry. With this competition, for all of you, if anybody's sitting back listening in and you're wondering, what should I do? Look out there and look for all those competitions to say, what can I challenge myself to apply for, to test my abilities, right? So. Yes, to that point, um, our competition is free. There's no entry fee. And we, we yeah, normally yeah. have a, a, a pretty small pool of entrants. So the chance of winning is pretty high. <laughs> you know, it's not like, you know, Sony or Dyson or, you know, some company that has a big thing Ooh. and you have to pay money and there's one winner. We, we typically have somewhere between 200 and 350 entries. So that's not very many. Um, last okay. couple of years, of course, with COVID, it's been less. But Still, um, you know, that's a pretty chance, good chance of winning. And we choose six winners and an undetermined amount of honorable mentions. Now, IHA pays for the six winners to come to Chicago. We pay their airfare and lodging and expenses and so forth. 
So for them, for those six, the regardless of the cash award, right. the experience of being at the show is really the greatest benefit because I introduce them to heads of companies, design managers at various companies. Um, we stroll the show while it's in construction. So they see the pandemonium and chaos that the next day is sparkling clean and everything's all set up. Um, and, and then they're on their feet for four solid days doing their elevator pitch, you know, hundreds of times telling their, their story, showing their, 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 their laptops and their animations and portfolio and stuff. So it's a once in a lifetime experience, you know, when we have a show, we didn't have a couple yeah. of shows here, um, but we're getting ready for March. There's only a month left. And so six winners will be coming. And over the years, we've, you know, it always, it started out being based with U.S. universities that have a, a degree granting industrial design program. Over mm -hmm. the years, of course, that stretched to Canada and, you know, North America. But now we get entries from all over the world because people can find out about this on the internet, of course. So I had an entry, one entry this year from Romania. Um, you, one you, of the winners is from so Austria. Saying, so you're saying designers, design students from anywhere around Correct. the world can be applying to this company. Right. And, and you know, I, you know, since design is a global industry now, um, it's, it's very interesting because of these years of connections. So when one of the winners was selected from a school in Austria, uh, you know, I wrote to the student and the, his professor, because the professor's email is in the entry form. Um, I wrote to them and said, how did you find out about this competition? And as has happened before, the professor said, well, one of my colleagues used to teach at Arizona State University. So he told us about it. And I said, oh, I know who you mean, um, because I used to yeah. get entries from him when he was there at Arizona State. So that's the kind of connections that build over time. And how many companies are watching? Because I know in all the years in this industry, you know, every competition, there are employers, That's there are right. clients that are watching this competition. I, mean, I would imagine, true. even though it's housewares, I'm sure there's corporations outside of that category who will be watching, right? Well, um, especially for those who come to the show, of course, because we have 2000 exhibitors. That's a lot of companies yeah. from around the world. And so... Um, you know, those even students, in companies that aren't exhibitors, I'm sure. Right. That's correct. Because design firms come there to, to look for staff, too. Um, they're not exhibitors, but they come to the show. So the student, the, the winners always have a pocket full of business cards that lead to the first, second and sometimes third job because of connections that they make while standing there uh, at the display mm -hmm. at the show. So oh. many of this, quite a few of the students. And here's the important point. That kind of experience of standing on your feet and talking all the time builds confidence to such a degree that when those kids go back to school after the show, they are different people. And I tell them that when they come to the show on Friday to see the show in motion as it's being constructed, I say, you're coming here as a student, but on Tuesday, you're going to leave here as a young professional. Because, yeah. you know, when they're leaving on Tuesday and I cry and hug them and say goodbye, um, I just say, you sense the difference in yourself. You know, today you are a different person than you were when you arrived. And, you know, they're, they're pumped up and they go back and they tell their story to their school and they have the self-confidence then and the experience with, you know, how to refine their, their pitch, their portfolio and everything over and over again over the years. Uh, that's what I've heard that was the biggest benefit of all that, that they then could stride into a, an interview for their first job with a strong sense of presence and a good portfolio and in fact, from the employer side, you know, at IDSA portfolio reviews, I've heard again and again, uh, the people would say, um, 
I know the housewares competition. I did it myself when I was a kid, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> I, I say, I can say cut to the chase. You know, I know that the housewares project is going to be the best thing in your portfolio. So just tell me what you did for that competition. So over the years, we've had more than 6,000 entries and, you know, a good 250 people have served as judges over the years because some people want to do it again and again, and I have to disinvite them, maybe give somebody else a chance, especially the educators. They love to do it year after year. I think I did um, it for you a long time ago, too, I recall. Long what'd you say? I think I, I think I was a judge for you a long time ago, also. Well, well one of your colleagues was. Yes. yes. Oh, that's right. Uh, that, I couldn't make it. That's yes, right. that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just so funny. So I know that, you know, Sam Affiano, for instance, he was a, a, a winner when he was a junior at I, uh, RIT. And at that time, the show was in January and he was from Rochester. So, of course, it was snowy kind of weather. And he designed a, a product that was uh, similar to a, another product that was entering the market at that show. So mm -hmm. that caused a lot of interest because, you know, it's sort of like who was first, you know, um, and he, like many, um, is is courted by exhibitors and invited back to the booth for a private conversation and so forth. And they talk about licensing perhaps or developing the product. Wow. So the kids get very excited and I say, slow down, you know, don't sign anything just yet, you know, go home and think about it. So he, he goes off to another building because our show's in three buildings and he comes back to the student display and he's like, ah, he goes, they want to take me to, they, they invited me to their headquarters in California. <laughs> oh, California. And they're going to wine me and dine me and I can't even drink yet because he was 20. <laughs> so, you know, look what happened next. You know, years after years later, he, he founds the design museum everywhere. So he's, he's, a, he's a great example of the confidence and the other one Joni Saylor for instance she she was from uh, I believe Arizona State when she won and she said that it was the confidence building that when she left to have her first job interview she's been there ever since for I don't know 20 years probably she's now a design manager at IBM so it's not and and has been um and I met her once at you know years later at a at a IDSA conference in the ladies room. <laughs> it was just a joyful reunion because she talks about that confidence that she that she gained from that experience. Listening to you, Vicki, but watching and you could hear if if you're listening on the podcast, you could just hear the pride in Vicki's voice and all of these designers who've found this incredible track in their career and the Houseware Student Design Awards was one of those key pivotal moments in their career. And you yes, have, that's right. You have really birthed so many, you know, you've met in, in this program, in this way, you've mentored and birthed so many great design professionals in this industry. Well, so thank you. And I can't leave this topic without talking about my dear friend, Mike Elwell, um, who now is the, um, the who directs, who directs uh, not only teaches industrial design, at Western Michigan University, but uh, developed the Richmond Institute of Design and Innovation. He won when he was a junior at, uh, he won a third place. Like I said, it doesn't matter if you're first, second or third, um, mm -hmm. when he was a student at Notre Dame. And at that show, his product was picked up and licensed. So he got royalty checks for years on this little thing that he created for opening a, a pill bottle for people with dexterity yeah. issues. And it had a magnifying glass so that you could read the label. So. 
it was picked up by one of our exhibitors and you know you'd see it at the checkout uh, display at uh, a container store and all over the place i think it's still sold and looks pretty much exactly like mike designed it so he credited that income to help him pay his graduate school tuition at U of I um, Urbana and then taught at Notre Dame for a while and then was recruited to um, develop this new um, department over at Western Michigan. And, you know, he asked for a recommendation. Of course, I gave it a glowing recommendation to the recruiter um, interested in hiring him. And, um, you know, he, he, he sent winners when he was teaching at Notre Dame to this competition. And this year he's got a, 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 one of the winners in the top six from, from Western Michigan. So it's really, um, I'm, I'm real, I really feel grateful and honored that I've had this opportunity in my life to mentor a couple generations of designers actually, because I mean, Josh Morenstein was in the very first group and you know, he's, he developed a great career in California, worked at New Deal Design, created his own companies more than one. Um, so it's, it's really a great thrill for me. If you if, if think about it, all these years and how many people you've really impacted their lives and, and helping them get into this industry, find their path, confirm what their gift is, um, it's such a beautiful body of work that you've developed. I mean, I, I, let me tell you that, um, a, you know, just a side note, as a recruiter and as a career coach, a lot of people come to me, you know, in that, in that coaching moment, particularly, they think it's time for me to pivot. You know, I've been at a company so long and I've met so many people like you also building a successful career is not necessarily about pivoting. I mean, you've made probably such an incredible industry impact on this industry. This isn't a job for you. This isn't just a career. This was a calling. <laughs> and, and I, you know, on behalf of, I know so many people listening in so grateful for people like you who are there, um, you know, having helped people become successful in this career. You've played a role in that initial early stage. I hope schools, I hope professors, I hope students around the world are listening to this. Um, and beyond yours, like any competition for students, it's such a great way for profession students to understand what it takes to become a professional. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because, um, you know, earlier you mentioned that I was also a design historian. So um, I, I basically created this job at IHA for for myself because of my own life and, and interests. I worked around my three children, you know, it was always a part-time job. Over the years, there were more and more uh, programs being initiated at IHA, which I ended up working on to promote design because in 1993, when I was hired, it, the, the association um, uh, had this idea that they wanted to promote design and the housewares industry, number one, for its manufacturers, elevate, you know, design in our business. Mm -hmm. And secondly, uh, to encourage people to think of the housewares industry as a career path. Um, and both of those missions, I believe, have been achieved through, through all these years. But, you know, my job was mainly fall and winter. And so then in spring and summer, I, as a parallel career since 1993 and actually before, I was developing this interest in history, the history of the profession and the history of individual designers, specifically focused on Chicago. But over the years, I've been hired by museums like the Art Institute of Chicago, the Toledo Museum of Art, and, and others to uh, work on exhibits and books on design in other cities beyond Chicago. But Chicago remains my heart. And so 
Um, I've recorded um, audio and visual, uh, video interviews with probably at least 60 designers, uh, mostly male, of course, because that was the business, but a few, a few women. Um, and so I, I, over the years, I spent a lot of time, I, I used to say when I was younger, I'd say I'm, I specialize in men um, over the age of 65, but um, I, I'm not going to say that anymore, but um, I, do, I have spent a lot of time with men at that stage of their life, either in late career or retired already between the ages of 65 and 95. I, I spend a lot of time with 90 year olds these days because we have a long lived uh, population. Um, and so I, I see the span of the career. I see it from, you know, a sophomore in college mm. to somebody looking back after 70 years in the business. And, um, you know, a person like Cooper Woodring, who yeah. sadly recently oh. lost, or, or, you know, numerous others of that age group. And I, Chuck Harrison who was very, very dear to me. I worked with Chuck for about five years on developing his autobiography, the book. Um, and I hear stories from somebody who was in their 70s or 80s about, being dyslexic, let's say, like in Chuck's case. And then I hear it from 20 year olds and you know why people channel their, their talents and interests and energies and skills in a certain profession. Um, you know, if people make compromises and you know, deal with their strengths you know, if, if they're wise enough to do that. Um, and it's a career that attracts people obviously who like to make things with their hands and are visually oriented and can see patterns and understand human behavior. Um, so those, some of those characteristics, of course, are key to the life of the work of a, an industrial designer. So anyway, from these interviews, I've been, I've been able to develop not only a, a long view of products, which I can apply to the housewares business. I'll say, you know, here's how this, how we use the, you know, how people used to squeeze a lemon, you know, a hundred years ago. And here's a lemon squeezer from today. They're basically the same thing in a different color or material. Um, so the functions still need to be fulfilled in some way by these products. And, and similarly, the problems still need to be solved by designers. It's just that the tools are different. And right. so, you know, in the early years of the, of the profession, of course, people were judged on their hand skills and, you know, and, and people recognized the, the hand of, of a designer from a drawing. And, um, yes. you know, and so that was the mark of a good designer, somebody who had drawing skills. Now, of course, you know, different skills are required for the way that uh, the world operates today. But nonetheless, uh, the idea of identifying a problem to be solved and um, identifying uh, a pain point in a user, identifying patterns of behavior, all those things um, are key to the, to the profession from the beginning of time, quite frankly. And so there's, there's, it's just different tools and, uh, and approaches that are now used for that, especially in the last two years because of the confinement with COVID. So this is a problem for the student designers because they haven't had that workshop time to learn how to make models mm -hmm. and, um, and have that you know, collaborative environment that is so important to designers. So you know, in, their, in the absence of these things, that's when they become really visible that this is something that we truly need. It's fascinating how you were saying that like a lemon squeezer back then, in some respects, isn't that different? Obviously, technology and the methods that yeah. allow us and uh, that allow us to design them differently, you know, that's advanced. Um, I, you're right with the hand skills, right? In some respects, that's still valuable, but you're right. There is a lot of designers who don't need to have that a sketching, you know, a sensibility, right? That they can design and um, go through that concept. <coughs> 
But designers of a certain age will tell you that's critical for client relationships because basically you're gathering information and it's so easy just to draw something and say, is this what you mean? And hold a drawing and um, have this have, they're they're basically, you know, sketching their own thinking. They're sketching what they hear from a a client's description of an issue. And, um, you know, you're not going to do that on a computer when you're talking to somebody, you know, you're going to do it on a piece of paper. And, uh, and then share it around the table and say, you know, and then in the end with the presentations that people do, you know, you have to have a visual to show them to capture their attention and really focus questioning and problem solving on a certain angle or point or grip or, you know, anything like that. Now, I'm not a designer, so I've never done it myself. I just hear this from other people. Right. Well, and I'm not a designer myself, but as a recruiter, we, we actually are very similar in our roles, kind of peripheral or supporting this industry and with all the design leaders that I speak to and management directors, executives, being that ability, you're right to that ability to be in a boardroom right there and then do a a, a simple line sketch of a couple, you know, perspectives or an issue, laying that out, you get to own that conversation. So if that is an ability that someone has, you, you want to try to never let that go, but on the other hand, that's that, the point. They, they with those drawings, they control the room. They control yes. the conversation. Yes, that's because what I've heard again sudden, and again. Yeah, because then all of a sudden everybody can come around to see mm-hmm. something outside of words. I mean, design right. has so many facets to it. You need that visual, right? That's right. I, I love that you can see that from those early phases, and you've watched people's arcs, um, watching their entire career. You, you've mentioned from beginning to end. That's right. Um, is there any and in- oftentimes in the later career, that's also interesting with these gentlemen in their 70s to 90s and, and women, uh, notably. Um, it's, they start out as art students. They start out as kids. Um, you know, how do you, I always start my interviews with childhood. You know, what kind of kid were you? You know, and it's the same thing all the time. Um, you know, I love to draw. I love to make things. You know, I had a little wood shop. I made cars, whatever, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And it's usually a mother, sometimes a dad or an uncle or an aunt who um, encourages this artistic uh, temperament and and those kind of interests um, they usually credit somebody and then once in a while a high school teacher turns up who you know spots the talent re- you know once in a great while you know back in the in the 50s there would be a high school teacher who knew about industrial design but even today high school teachers and career counselors don't know about the career very much but if somebody at, at, you know in the education uh, of these children spots that and, and says, hey, why don't you think about, you know, going into art or something like that? Parents will probably, you know, crinkle their noses and say, right. art, how's he going to support himself in art, you know? Um, but um, that I also hear. I mean, uh, well, <laughs> Chuck, Chuck Harrison said, I told my dad I, I was studying painting. He goes, well, that's great. You can take a bucket of paint and start painting the garage, you know? So uh, you know, how are you going to make a living as an artist? But those, that's what they return to in their later life. And they, and they, you know, painting, watercolors, exhibits and galleries of their paintings, jewelry making, um, you know, making things, you know, uh, those things end up being their, their avocation and their, the way they enjoy their final decades sometimes um, in those ways by making art. You know, I have a similar, and I'm sure everyone listening to this must have some similar origin story when it comes to discovering design. Uh, how my parents also had a very strong ability, natural ability in, in art, right? And 
my father was like, yeah, you're not going to make money off that. Go study psychology. You're good with people. Go do that. Of course, this is and, and it, how to it, type. Take shorthand. You know, that's what I heard. <laughs> and how fascinating they come together for me. But how many people who are naturally creative, you know, their family saying, look, this isn't a career that's going to support you. But yet look how many people now realize how valuable design is. You're also pointing out something I wonder hopefully someone else listening, if someone has that ability, should there be some kind of program that might educate all these professors at high schools or middle schools and, and kind of start telling people what this, this track is there, I wonder, because thankful, you've just cited how those rare opportunities where a happenstance, some high school student or, you know, or college, I'm sorry, high school professor or college professor recognize that ability. And I've heard those stories by myself, by the way, from others that said, my professor, you know, high school or college said, oh, you shouldn't be doing engineering or architecture or or this or that. Have you thought about design? Um, so it's just- And the other, the other point that I, I slightly brought up was um, dyslexia. And so yes. to, your to your point about educating teachers, uh, my sister is a, a professional educator and she's uh, spent her life not only as a classroom teacher, but teaching teachers how to teach and involved in the teachers' organizations and so forth. And since she had a son who was dyslexic, she came to be an early advocate. Um, you know, he's in his 50s now. So, you know, there was a long time ago when he was in fourth grade and she started advocating for dyslexia, which she still does in various ways. And so I was telling her these stories where I kept the word dyslexia kept coming up that, you know, people like Chuck Harrison you know, it was in college when uh, that was identified for him. And he was in a business school, you know, that was not me, but that's, you know, and so this started coming up. So I told her about my stories. And so we joined together to do a, a joint presentation for several years to the um, Association of Gifted edu uh, Educators of the Gifted, um, and that's K through 12. And so we did this program uh, for a couple of years at that conference. And she would do her educational jargon, you know, school district rules and all this kind of business. And then I would launch into these couple stories. Um, notably, uh, uh, a man named John Stram had really beautiful evidence. Um, I, I, he was about 75 when I interviewed him and went to his home in um, uh, Kansas City area. And I stayed at his home for four days. So it was a long video interview as he showed me his career. And he remarkably had his report cards from uh, something like fourth or fifth grade. And there was the conversation between his teacher and his mother. If only John would focus and pay attention, he could read so much better, but he sits at the back of the room and he draws cars and planes all the time. The mother says, I'm working with him. We're, you know, he's progressing, I'm helping him. We're, and then it turns out he, you know, he and the mom designed the sets and the costumes for the class play. He designed the program in the booklet, you know, for the all school concert right. or something like that. And, um, you know, he was a square peg in a round hole. He was from California and, you know, long hair and flowered shirts and a big belt buckle and cowboy boots. And he's hired by IBM in Connecticut where everybody's wearing the skinny ties and crew cuts, you know, and so <laughs> it's hysterical to see the pictures, it's but just, that's where it was because of his dyslexia. Right. Talk about, uh, it's just a side comment about our, our institution of education, how it may not be the best to identify gifts in different people in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, and how that's fa fascinating. So there's a high um, percentage of people who are designers who have dyslexia. Is that, 
I just, I just uh, circulated a questionnaire and people self-identified. It was certainly right. not statistically accurate right. or scientific well, or anything. And can you tell us a little bit about dyslexia and how that might become a benefit or is it, you know, how does that tie into des the designability, the aesthetic? Well, that, has so many multifaceted capabilities, right? There's these. Now, I'm no educator expert, but, you know, in my sister's world, there's this, this term called 2E, twice exceptional. And so, you know, you may have what's Let yeah, me just twice, again, I know you twice said exceptional. Twice so exceptional. So according to educational uh, testing and rules, you may have what's called a disability in one area, which in this case would be reading, but then you also have giftedness in some other areas. So this is, um, you know, you've got sort of considering a plus and a minus, and you don't have to find your, your path through, through that and balancing those. So if you don't think of it as a disability, but a different kind of talent, then, you know, the whole conversation changes. So um, it's, it's basically people who can think in 3D, you know, think in color, think in patterns, a different way of thinking. Um, and so what better skill for an industrial designer to understand how something's gonna plug in a wall or how to be held in a hand. Um, and so this is, this is what attracted me on a non-scientific basis. Yeah. So I just, I just interviewed people who said that they had this problem and was, it was considered a problem in school because they couldn't read very well, um, but they were good with numbers perhaps. Um, and they were good with these other things, building, making, you know, uh, human behavior, those kind of skills. So um, it, I think testing is, is more, um, more commonly used, but nonetheless, there's always issues with school district budgets and getting special right. help and tutors and all that. So it is expensive um, and, wow. and, and can be cumbersome. So, uh, you know, for parents to manage. But I talked to one man who said, I didn't know I, I was dyslexic until it turned out we had to have our daughter tested. And um, I took the same test and there it was. And he heads a design school, you know? And so right. um, that, that, those were personal stories that I was taking down. Wow, that's crazy. That's what a fascinating. What's, what a fascinating correlation that you, you identified. The other one that I have heard is um, ADD with design. Um, and, and actually, um, business owners, uh, mm -hmm. I've been to, you know, been part of different organizations and they've self-identified and said, this allows me actually to become a really, you know, being able to be a really good business owner, uh, business manager, to be able to keep in mind all these disparate Correct. capabilities and, and make those alignments across aesthetic, technical, mechanical numbers. Right you know, all talk about logistics of so many different factors. Right. It's, it's, you know, when we, when she and I, my sister and I started looking at pe famous people who, you know, um, said something about being dyslexic. I mean, the list would astonish you from Albert Einstein to Johnny Ive to Steve Jobs, you know, all kinds of people, heads of companies, CEOs and, and, right. and people in the design field. So it's more common than you you know, I get to speak to you. You've built this program, you know, this competition for students. I know there's a lot of students listening probably to this episode or will, I'm sure. So many schools and students, um, I'm sure also employers listening in. It's like, yeah, I mean, this is about finding budding talent before anyone else does. I mean, that's one of the biggest requests. You know, the employers, you know, one of the different types of employers unicorn is, can I find raw talent before anybody else finds them? <laughs> right? So um, 
so I guess question to you from the student standpoint, what are things, you know, you've watched these competitions, you've selected your judges, you've watched the judging system. What's some advice for designers, for students, you know, if they're out there researching, and I don't even know, by the way, I'm sure outside of the housewares student design awards, there must be different industries um, that have their own student. And if they don't, they should, by the way, right? Have this uh, this kind of educational, educational, It well, the competition is some kind of educational process. Mm -hmm. What's your advice to designers uh, applying? Well, now, like, you, know, you know, just like these students from around the world who enter my competition, you can find, you know, search around on the internet and find all kinds of opportunities. Um, the issue is like for anybody, uh, seek out the opportunity. And, you know, people always say when opportunity knocks, be ready to answer the door. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's a blend, you know, confidence is important at the same time uh, after, you know, people have to be a little careful about being perhaps overconfident, but nonetheless, the youthful energy and optimism and I can do this, that kind of attitude is always important. Uh, important people and famous artists and, and people in any business will say, oh yeah, I said I could do that. I didn't know anything about it, but I learned quickly because I promised him yeah. I would learn, you know, so that 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 works a lot of times, you know, if, if you really pick up on it. Um, so I can't give anybody advice. Everybody, every person has to make his or her own decision and, mm -hmm. um, you know, balance their, their available um, resources and their, their skills and their time and, and all those things. So, um, but generally speaking, we can believe that uh, it's a generally level playing field these days um, uh, and um, opportunities are, are open all over the world uh, in, in various ways to everyone. Uh, you know, building a portfolio is important, right? Mm -hmm. Showing, showcasing their work, showcasing their process, I think is something just- That's very important in our, in our competition because the judges right. uh, always want to see the road not taken. Right. We encourage students to show all of your exploration yeah. and then defend your decision why you chose to go down this path. Um, don't just give us a final view. Show us how you got there. And let me just say, as from uh, putting on my recruiter hat, every employer that we know when we've in, in all my years in recruitment, I think that is the, that is what employers look for. And a lot, I find actually outside of just that entry level, there's a correlation to what you're saying. As people evolve as professionals, it, people tend to show that finished, you know, six, per, six images of the finished product, but that doesn't tell you about Okay. To me, if you're only showing that finished product and you're not showing process, you're really selling the product, not your abilities as a designer. That's right. That's right. And and I've seen, you know, people who and it's hard. It's like, how do you show that iterative process of all the decisions that didn't work? But that's exactly what employers want to see is how varied were your decisions? Right. Was it, yeah. you know, was this gaseous? Was it? Was it a living hinge? Was this um, different materials, right? So, yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. It's not a mistake. It's just uh, a solution yes. that didn't work. And, and that's an important lesson to learn. Yeah, and, and knowing to look at that to say what didn't work so that I could develop a better next iteration. And that's what we're right. looking at is that, that thinking process. And right. it is hard to, I think, for designers to realize that in themselves, kind of knowing what other people are looking for in that, gauging their ability or a little bit right 
And the fact is that over time, that solution that perhaps was not possible at this time, 10 years later, maybe. Um, so if the technology may not be there or perhaps the conditions weren't right for the production or the marketing of that product, that doesn't mean that that solution should be discarded. It, it can come back in another form to solve a, a different problem, perhaps for a different client. Yeah, I love that you just pointed that out because how many years you and I have both been in this industry and having been privy to so many portfolios and so many incredible ideas. And at the time, at that moment, knowing this won't be possible. And then looking back now, realizing how many of those ideas are possible and have been developed and produced today. And it's just yes. absolutely fascinating. Well, that's why it's fun when, when, you know, when you're looking at the, at the later stages of life, when you look back and say, and see, particularly if you see visual evidence of some sort, or, or a report, a record, a photograph, a drawing, whatever it is, you say, oh, that's where that came from. You know, that led to that, which led to that, which led to that. Because despite all best laid plans, most, most lives and careers are, are built on, on happenstance. And, you know, unexpected developments, unexpected meetings, um, chance encounters, you know, light bulb moments, you know, the, things happen in unpredictable ways in, in a person's life. What you're talking about when I work with people and I coach and I lecture at conferences and things like that, one of the things I think designers sometimes forget, there's that moment where you go inside to come up with your ideas, but there's times where you then have to balance that with stepping out and getting out into that world for those happenstance moments to That's right. giving them that opportunity to come to you. Uh, That's so right. yes. Uh, you know, a, a quick comment for anyone listening. I know we're ha in a crazy time right now, right? Second year of this pandemic. And um, we're not able to get out there physically. Yeah. We're not able to necessarily go to a conference or congregate, but there are these conversations you can have. So I encourage everyone, you know, reach out, connect to your friends, professors, keep networking, get out there, go to the places where you're fascinated. And I love Vicky's, um, you know, just word of advice right here. Absolutely get out there so the universe can bring you those opportunities, happenstance, right? Mm -hmm. If you're not out there, they can't knock on your door necessarily as much, right? So I love that. And I think that's a beautiful ending parting piece of advice, you know, um, find competitions, get out there, test your gift, use, you know, for anyone, whether you're working or not working, especially for students, I think there's so many that are young professionals are probably still struggling to find that next opportunity. Don't just apply for jobs, but get out there, test your craft, kept, keep working on your gift and you know evolving it. Vicki, I love this. Your expertise is so valuable. Your oversight and overview of how this industry has evolved, there's so much. Like I, I know I'm sure we could have, you know, I'm we're probably gonna have to bring you back on subsequent <laughs> interviews to get in all that. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, some a couple things that you've talked about. You were mentioning how you've watched this industry grow, um, and as a woman to woman, yes. And, and I've experienced it too. Even when I was at Pratt, I remember sitting around a group of students, six students and all guys and me, and they went around talking about why they got into design. And then they looked at me and said, they said, well, you know, I was like getting ready to tell my version and of why I found, how I found design. And they were like, what are you doing here? You're a girl, you're a woman, you know? Um, and 
there are going to be some episodes that we're going to bring up some great people that you know who have been in the forefront, the first women in design. Um, yes, and- to that point, we also lost just a, this recent week, Mary Ellen Doors, who was a wonderful, wonderful woman, a real pioneer in the field. And in 1940, she was the only woman in the class uh, at Pratt. And when Harley Earl called uh, Arthur Costello and asked for somebody, a woman to work at the G, you know, General Motors design department, she was the only one. So she had a job before she graduated and she went straight from Pratt to GM and, and worked in the car design department over there. Um, and, and then subsequently and, uh, worked for Sunberg Ferrar as a consultant. But she had a, a, a wonderful, wonderful personality, so funny, great stories. And it was just really heartbreaking to hear of her loss just recently. Okay. Thank you so much, Vicki. My spending. pleasure. I know that the, right now, catching you right now is like uh, you know, such an impossible ask. Uh, really <laughs> making- Working pretty hard over I at IHA. <laughs> we're like in a gerbil cage. We're, we're running up that, that, that hill uh, to deliver a good show to our, our guests and our exhibitors after um, not meeting for two years. Our industry is really eager to meet in person. Our retailers are, are thirsting to see their vendors in person, choose products in person. Um, we haven't been together. Our, our business has not been together since 2019. So we've we've uh, we're we're really excited about next next uh, month from now, uh, um, March 5th in Chicago. Wow, I love it. Okay, so if anything, everyone, get ready for those of you listening and you haven't, you know, certainly you actually watch the competition. L- look at the information. Watch the students that do win because again, people want to look at that to if they want to get a sense of who wins and what kind of work, how they represent that work, that's something to take in mind, right? Yes. Um, and Vicki, if people, whether it's students, professors, employers, corporations, and wondering well, how do we build our own hint, 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 student competitions, like, or advice and thoughts from you, um, any additional questions, where can people reach you? Is it LinkedIn? Well, it's easy to find me on LinkedIn. You can Google my name and find my find your way there. Um, okay. The email at the Housewares Association is my first initial beside last name, B-M-A-T-R-A-N-G-A at housewares.org. Um, and my, my personal email, it's one word, easy to remember, Chicago Design History at gmail.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And listen, um, for everyone listening, we will have Vicki's contact information in the uh, show notes in the links below. Okay. So Vicki, thank you so much. I'm so really glad that we were able to tell your story. I'm honored that you invited me. Thank you, Angela. All right. Have a great day, everyone. Okay. Bye-bye, everybody.